Um, we are in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, I'm so I know that for a lot of you, this is your first time here, so I'm just going to explain really quickly kind of what this whole series is called Win-Win. And the reason we've called it that is because how many of you are in business? Raise your hand. Or you negotiate sometimes. Teachers would have to raise their hand here. So if you ever negotiate with somebody and you have a win-win moment, then you, you're familiar with what that means. That means that you both kind of, what it means is you both feel like you won. Usually it means you both lost and you don't know it. But um, you both walk away going, that was a good negotiation, right? So win-win. And so what we said is, this, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. It was preached by Jesus. And what we said is in this message, he has redefined what winning looks like. So you might hear people say, like, he flips the whole thing upside down. His kingdom's not like our kingdom. But he redefines what winning is, and what he starts to teach us is when we do certain things, W-H-E-N, we will win. So we win, win. Get it? Makes sense? So the first, um, first couple of weeks we've been in Matthew chapter 5, and Matthew chapter 5 was all about who we are as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, we're really glad you're here, right? Um, so what I'm going to say, you can learn some stuff, right? But this is, he's teaching his disciples, and so these are things that he's saying to people like me that have chosen to follow Jesus, right? And so what he says is, listen, this is who you are. I don't know how many of you were raised in a church where, um, God, Christianity just felt like a checklist, Right? Like, you better do all the right things and don't do the bad things. And so we can start to feel like we read the Sermon on the Mount like a checklist, right? So we read the Beatitudes, and he says, hey, blessed are the pure in spirit. And we're like, oh, so I better be pure in spirit, right? If we read it like things that we have to do, and what he's saying is, no, 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 I'm telling you who you are, right? This is who you are. So I've said this phrase a lot. I'll keep saying it. Identity fuels activity, Religion flips it around. Religion says activity fuels identity, like do the right things and you'll look like you're the right person. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Just let me make you a new person and then you'll do the right thing. Okay? Um, parents in the house and teenagers, you ever um, said to your kids, like, I'll just, I'm not going to pick on you, Will, for long, but you just go, and I've said this to Will before, so it's not a big surprise. It's my son, Will. Yeah, right? He's like, yes, I am. Right? I love it. So you look at your son, you look at your daughter, and you say this, Will, I love you. I mean, I'm so proud to be your dad, and there's nothing you could do to ever make me love you less. Like, you, you, whatever you do will never change how I feel about you. You ever had your parents say that to you? Now, listen, if you've never had your parents say that to you, I'm sorry. Parents, if you've never said that to your kids, today's the day to do it, right? But check this out. Have you ever had your parents say that to you, and you're like all up in your feels in the moment, and then they follow it with, but? <laughs> you ever had that happen? And it's like everything they say after the but contradicts everything you felt before they got to the but, right? So this is going to feel a little bit like that. I'm just being honest, because Matthew chapter 5 was all about Jesus telling his followers, listen, I love you. You're pure in heart. The kingdom is yours. I'm, I'm so, you're salt. You're light. You're all these things. Now we get to chapter 6, and he's going to make a shift from identity. He's going to start talking about activity. And it's going to be so easy, especially if you, like me, 
come from a very religious background, it's going to be so easy for us to go back to that checklist. Well, I better do these things now, or if I don't do these things, am I even saved? Am I even, am I even really following Jesus? Have I had such a bad day? And what happens is on the good days, we're like, yes, God loves me. Have you ever had a day like that? You lay your head on the pillow, and you don't want to say it out loud because you don't want people to think you're bragging. But what you're thinking is, if ever there was a day that proved what Christianity should be like, this was it. I nailed it today, right? But then have you had the reverse day where you lay your head on the pillow at night, and you're like, God, please don't put me up for adoption. <laughs> right? Like, like, don't, please don't reject me. And, and we tend to go up and down based on our behavior. And religion feeds into that. And I'm, I'm just really hammering this home because I don't want you leaving here today feeling like we've just put more on you. Because there's nothing you and I can do to earn our salvation. Nothing. So if you've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, here it is. Are you ready? Jesus died on the cross for my sins and yours. And it doesn't matter squat what you do because he did it all. That's the gospel. Now, but, right? It's like your parent going, I love you, but. So he says, I did all of that for you, and you can't add anything. If you never read your Bible, you could still be saved. If you never went to church, you could still be saved. But what he's going to say is, but because of all I did on the cross, here are things that are going to happen in your life going forward. Because you're my child, this is what your life is going to look like. And that, because of how we've been raised, especially in the Bible Belt, which is firmly around Satan's waist, is it not? Come on. Like, in the Bible Belt, we have been taught that we earn stuff, and we don't earn anything. We don't get a trophy at the end of this because we were good. We get a crown because he was good, period, right? But we don't sit back and just let everything just happen because he actually lets us participate with him. And so that's what Matthew 6 and 7 is going to be all about. That was a really long introduction, wasn't it? Goodness gracious. But the reason why this is so important is because we've talked about who we are, and now we're going to talk about what we do and why we do it. And why we do it, that's called motives, yes? You ever had somebody check your motivation? Like they just kind of always question your motives. Like, why are you doing that? It's like, it's like the constant two-year-old question, right? So why? And why? And why? And why? And why? Anybody a hockey fan here? Okay, three of you. Great. Let's, the three of us, let's just talk for a second. Hockey fans, if I, say, if I say check you into the board, you know what I mean, right? So if you've ever been to a hockey match, is that what it's called? I don't know. Anyway, not a hockey fan. So there's the hockey rink, and it's got around the hockey rink are like these boards, and then above, like, there's boards to a certain point, and then it's like plexiglass going up. And, like, if you're a hockey player, you're skating with the puck, and somebody comes out of nowhere and they check you, right? They, like, literally skate right into you, and they try to push you into the board so, that, like, your face goes like that, and people take pictures. That's the way. That's hockey, right? And that's called a, a board check. It's totally legal, and I bet it hurts like the dickens, doesn't it? And I, and I was going to show you, like, a, a YouTube compilation of, like, the worst board checks in hockey history, which would have been awesome. I couldn't find a good one. Because I wanted to tell you this, and I want to set you at ease. This message and some of the ones that follow, we're going to feel like that. 
we're kind of going to feel like we got board checked by the gospel, which is terrible, right? Like he's going to talk to us about what our lives should look like, and we're going to be skating along thinking this is great, and all of a sudden he's going to talk about these three things that we're supposed to be doing, and we're going to look at our lives and go, I'm not doing any one of them. And you're going to feel board checked by Jesus, which is a weird concept, but you know what I'm saying, right? Board checked by Jesus that we should make T-shirts. And so what happens in typical religious church is we try to earn our way out of that feeling. Well, then I'll read more of the Bible. I'll pray longer. I'll fast more. I'll whatever we do, fill in the blank. I'll raise my hands higher. I'll give more, I'll whatever. But we don't do it with the right motivation. The motivation is to appear good, which is exactly what Jesus says in the very first verse. Look at this. Matthew 6, 1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, it sounds like what Jesus is saying is don't do these things in front of other people. And there are certain things that we should not do in front of other people, right? Pick your nose comes to mind. But what he's really saying is not that you shouldn't let people see you do it. This isn't saying like when you give, don't let people know you're giving. Or when you fast, don't let people know you're fasting or whatever it is. Because we just read in Matthew chapter 5, didn't we? He said you're a light set on a hill. Remember this part? And he said, what did he say there? Don't put your light under a bushel. Are we all singing the kids song right now in your head? He said, but let your light shine before who? Men, so that they could what? See it. So when they see your good works, they'll glorify God. So he's not here contradicting himself and saying, what I said earlier, like last chapter, I didn't really mean it. What he's talking about, what is your motivation? What is your motivation? Listen, you as a church body, you paid, I'm trying to think, was it 33 families? You paid 33 power bills in December for families that you don't even know. And I will scream it from the rooftops to whoever will listen because that gives God glory because the gospel is when people who don't know each other do good things for each other. You could never do that without Jesus. And I will tell anybody who wants to listen that you did that. You know why I can do that? Because I'm not doing it. I don't care what they think about me. And we're not doing it so our church will grow. We're just doing it because we love people and God loves people. And that brings him glory because you know what people ask? You did what? Why would you do that? That's crazy. You could have used the money. And we're like, I know it's crazy, but like Jesus loves those people. And it gives him glory. Now, if we had paraded down to the power office and been like, here we are, right? Like, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? Does it? Do people even do that? That was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> y'all, y'all have never heard me preach. You're like, dude's in the first verse. He's only in the first verse. We're going to be here forever. I talk fast. It's going to go quick. This is so important that you get this. So this is so important that you understand that what we're getting ready to talk about is wins, right? Three wins, three big wins, W-H-E-N. Now, we could all talk about wins, right, like W-I-N. I bet you all got some big wins. I'm not extremely athletic, so my list of big wins is like that, right? I know that's shocking because I look so athletic. I'm a Panthers fan. When I think big win for the Panthers, my mind always goes to Steve Smith in a dome in St. Louis. First play. Are you feeling the spirit right now? I am. First play, second overtime, pass across the middle, touchdown, game over. 
I think that may be the only actual big win we have as a team. I'm not sure. As a franchise, I'm hoping for more, right? Maybe you play sport. I know y'all do. Maybe you've hit the game-winning shot. Maybe some of you caught a game-winning catch. I know Wendy, she, her sport is shopping. She, she got a big win yesterday. You remember? She can't, it's a good thing. She's looking at me like, why would you say that? She, she got a deal yesterday. She bought something at like 30% of the cost. That's it. I mean, how many of y'all shop? That's a win, right? Like wins, man. We remember big wins. And so this morning, I want you to know this. this these, are not, um, these are not if statements that we're going to read. These are wins, W-H-E-N, three big wins in the kingdom. They're not optional. Anybody here ever bought a new car? I've never bought a new car, brand new. I've bought new to me, which is usually like eight years old, but it's new to me, right? But if I, you ever, have you ever watched a, a car commercial and as it's driving, have you ever fallen in love with the car in the commercial? You're like, that's weird. Yeah, you, you think you've never done it, but your family's watched your face change as they showed the, like the Bluetooth features and you're like, It's got four tires. <laughs> they auto-inflate with Bluetooth. Right? Like, you fall, you actually fall in love with the car. They show you the radio, the lights, the whole deal. Then you see the gas mileage. You're like, dude, this is sweet. And then they show you the price, and you're like, what? That's amazing. And you go down to buy that car, and you tell them you want it for that price. And if you've been through this experience, you know what they do, don't you? They laugh at you. And you're like, why are you laughing? Is it because you're excited too? And they're like, no, because you're not getting that car for that price. Oh, yes, I am, because I saw it on the TV. And they were like, there was an asterisk next to that price. And if you had read the, the small print that no one that's living could actually even read, but our lawyers say put it there, you would have found that that was for another car. That was for a car that had optional packaging. And what you, what you want with the price you're asking is the standard, which is why you walked out with the standard equipped car. You were like, I don't even know what an eight-track player is, but I got one, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are Googling eight-track player right now. Eight-track was, uh, was standard equipment in the 70s, right? It's crazy. These wins that we're going to talk about, these are not optional. We tend to think of like with optional packaging on a car that if you're really rich, you can afford it. So I'll just get stuck with the standard packaging. And what we're going to read today, what I want you to understand today is that these are things that are standard for Christians that we have made optional. We have said things to ourselves like this. Well, if I was a really good Christian, I would do these things. Or if, if I ever, when I really fall in love with Jesus, I'll start doing these things. Or when I have whatever, I'll start doing these things. But he says these aren't optional. These are standard equipment. So here's your big idea today. Your big idea is don't make optional what God makes standard. And we've done that as an American church. We've made optional the things that God has made standard. So at Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read this really quickly. Matthew chapter 6. Let's start in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 8, and then we'll read 16 and 18, talking about three big wins in the kingdom. Here we go. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, 
Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen. And then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put, all, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right? Now listen, three big wins. Again, let me say it. These are not optional things that we add to our life. Well, someday when I'm a really good Christian, I'll fast or I'll give or I'll pray. These are not options. These are standards that God wants all of us to have. Okay? So this isn't like a buffet line where you kind of pick out the one that you like and whatever. These are staples of a healthy diet. So let's talk through the three. Here's the first one. Big win number one is giving. Um, generosity, it would be a better word. So generosity comes up a lot here at The Gathering. We believe in generosity. Man, we believe that God wants us to say yes on every occasion when we can help somebody out. And the reason for that is because generosity is something that comes in the kingdom. We can only really be generous when we know Jesus. Because Jesus was generous. God so loved the world that he gave, right? And he gave his only son. He gave a huge gift. So what's important to know here is that the early church changed their world through generosity. So the people that persecuted the early Christians, I'm so glad we don't live in those days, right? The people that persecuted the early Christians, when those people were struck by a plague, the people left the city and didn't want to take care of their own people because they didn't want to die. And the Christians who were being persecuted by those people stepped in to care for those people, even though they might actually die themselves. They were generous. Their generosity changed their culture. You know, our, our, our world is kind of going nuts over the coronavirus, and, and probably rightfully so. And so what this, this would be in today's world, this would be like us getting on a plane and flying to where the coronavirus is the worst and caring for the people who were dying from it and not worrying about whether or not we die. Nobody's doing that unless Jesus has changed their life. The Christians in the early church did that. It changed the culture. Generosity changes the culture. But this is not just about giving. This is about the motive behind the giving. So the Pharisees, they gave so they could be recognized, right? Now, we don't take up an offering in our church. I and mean, we do, but it's back in the back and you just drop it in the box. We don't pass an offering plate. But just picture this with me, right? What Jesus is saying is the Pharisees made sure that everybody knew that they were giving and how much they were giving. So if this was like a, like a normal traditional church, which we are definitely not, um, we would have an offering plate, right? And so let's just, we'll just start, we'd start it here with Wendy, and I'd give it to her, and she'd drop hers in, and like get Will, and, you know, of course, we're here, and Nurse Ross, and Mr. Cecil, and Papa over here, and then it gets to Rick. And Rick, would, he would stand up, and he would go, <clears throat> Excuse me, can I have your attention, please? I have this really big fat check that I'm going to drop into the plate right now. There we go. 
Thanks, everybody. And he would pass it on. Come on here. Maybe Cody stands up. He's like, I've got a bigger check. And I'm going to drop it into play right now. Taylor starts clapping. Yeah. See, that, and, and that's what Jesus said. He said the Pharisees would almost like they would parade into the church, like blowing trumpets, like, hey, I'm fixing to give some money now. And he said, if you do that, that's cool. You've already got your reward. But when you give, when you give, give in secret. What he's saying is this. He's saying don't be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Greek literally means to play a part. It was a theater word, to play in a drama. Now, we go see plays all the time, and we know that that person who's playing a murderer isn't really a murderer, right? Are we not sure? <laughs> no, we're sure. We're like, that's just, they're just playing a part. And what Jesus says is the Pharisees were just playing a part. They weren't really what they pretended to be. He says, don't be like that. Be the real deal, right? He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. So think about this. You'll never give something if you're not now giving anything. And what we say to God, hey, someday, someday when I've got it to give, I'll give. But you'll never give someday what you aren't giving today. And so he says, start giving. It's not an if. You don't get to, as a Christian, say to yourself, well, if I want to give, I'll give. No, it's when. When you give. When you're generous. When you give. Generosity is a when, not an if. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, which ironically is the verse that's right above those offering boxes in the back, says this, you, everybody say that's me, I mean it's you, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God's plan for our life is that we would be able to say yes every single time. He actually wants me never have to like go, sorry y'all, I got nothing. And it doesn't mean because we're rich, it means that we're generous. It means that we see our lives like, if God, if you give it to me, I'm going to give it to you. Now, I'm not the hero of my stories in that area all the time, but I will say this. I love me some Swedish fish. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house? Anybody here like Swedish fish? Who does not know what that is? We're praying for you. Praying for you. It's the I like all candy gummy, but, like, Swedish Fish is the best gummy candy there is out there. And <laughs> here's what I'll do. I love when people give me Swedish Fish, and you, I will give it all away. I'll just, like, here, Michelle, have a bag of Swedish Fish, right? I'll just start tossing it out because I just love sharing it, right? Now, I'm not that way with everything. <laughs> I'm working on it, right? Like, you know, can I borrow your car? Sure. <laughs> but I want to be. I want God to see us as just a vessel. Like, man, I can give that to Paul, and if, he, if somebody needs it, he'll give it. He'll just pass it on. And that's what Second Corinthians is saying. Man, you'll be enriched so that in every way you can always be generous on every occasion. Big win number one is giving. Big number two is praying. So, um, listen, we're not going to talk a lot about this because next week we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. I didn't jump over that when we were reading through the Sermon on the Mount because it's a big deal. Praying's a big deal, and I think most of us probably feel like we're failing at it. So next week we'll talk about how to pray. But let me just give you a couple quick thoughts right here. Verses 5 through 6, Jesus is praying. He says, when you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. What is he saying? He's saying this. Learn how to pray in secret before you pray in public. When my first church, I was in seminary, and uh, I was the youth pastor. The youth pastor, because when you're in seminary and you're the intern, they're like, go hang out with teenagers. Like, it's a punishment, but can we just agree that that's the best job in the world? Hanging out with teenagers. Come on. I mean, I like y'all too, but I'm just saying, that's a fantastic job. And so I was a youth pastor, and as the youth pastor, my job was to, like, take up the offering in the services and pray and just all the stuff the senior pastor didn't want to do. I had to do that stuff. And so I remember one time um, I was getting ready to get up to do that thing, that praying stuff, and Wendy looked at me right before I was going to get up to pray, and it, like before we got to church that day, and she looked at me and she said, Paul, and y'all know Wendy's the sweetest person in the world. Y'all, y'all know that, right? I mean, that should have been the loudest amen ever right there. She's the sweetest person on the planet. Not a mean bone in her body. And she looked at me and she said, I hate to hear you pray at church. And I was like, let me pull that sword out, right? Like, where did that even come from? And I said all that to her. And she's like, well, I, don't, I hate to hear you pray at church because I never hear you pray at home. I'm like, God, I thought the first one was bad. That was terrible. But she was right. She, and God used that moment to teach me, like, Paul, shut up in public. If you can't do it at home, don't do it in public. If this is the only place I preach, I'm failing. I I hope my life preaches at home all the time. I mean, not like preaches because they're bad, but like I need the gospel too. So learn to pray in private before you pray in public. Then he says in verse 7, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Have y'all ever heard prayers that were really long, and you were thinking the whole time, like, this could have been so much shorter, right? (laughs) Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I'm going to show you a video, and I want to set it up like this. This video is not intended to any way, shape, or form to mock or make fun of how people pray, but it kind of does. Go ahead. I love you. I love you, buddy. I love you. I'm going to the store, so if you need something, just let me know. Okay, bye. Oh, actually, honey, there is something I need. I just want to say thank you, Andy Husband. I just want to thank you for going to the store for us. I want to thank you for just taking the time to just take care of our needs, husband, babe. So while you're there, husband, babe. Why are you talking like this? If you could just pick up some milk, Andy, husband, that would be so great. I would so appreciate it. And then if you could just, when you're at the store, go to the milk section, husband, babe. Milk. And just take that milk, husband. And put it in your capable cart, husband, babe. You, and I then know if you could how just to put milk go to the front in a cart. and just check out and just pay for that milk, husband, babe. Okay, milk. I just thank you so much. I appreciate you and thank you for getting that milk. Thank you. All right, thank bye. You. Thank you, husband, babe. Thank you. Thank you. Very thankful. I get it. Amen. Amen. Bye, honey. 
again, not to make fun of anybody who prays a certain way or to make you feel like, you know, um, any certain way when you do pray, like we're all listening and hearing how you say it. But I will tell you this, that when Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans, he's saying, don't, don't just pray without thinking. Don't pray. We talked about this a couple messages ago. Don't just pray careless words. And that, that Greek word for careless means um, fruitless, barren words, words that have no life-giving power. Don't just say stuff to say stuff. I've prayed before and, and prayed like for 15, 20, 30 minutes, so, and I could check the box off that says good Christians pray for that long. But if you ask me what I prayed for, I couldn't tell you. I just ran my mouth for 30 minutes. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that will drive God crazy, right? It will drive God crazy. And so, so to think, just pray in a way that thinks about what you're saying. Now, repetition is not necessarily a bad thing, and I'm not going to make you come up here and do this with me, but I'm just going to say there are times in our marriage where I have given Wendy a hug and she has given me a hug, and in that moment as we're just embracing, and usually it's after, like, a loved one has passed away, and all I can say is, I love you. I, I love you. I love you. Now, see, that's not babbling, y'all. That's repetition from the heart. And only you know when your heart is involved in the words that are coming out of your mouth. And what Jesus is saying is don't be like the pagans that just babble because they think the longer they pray, the more likely God's going to hear them. But he's not. He's not just going to hear you because of all your words. Listen, a couple of verses for you to put down for prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17, hardest book in the Bible to say. It says, never stop praying. So what exactly does never stop praying? What does that mean? It sounds like it means never stop praying, doesn't it? And so um, I used to read that, and people would be like, how do you pray and never stop? And I would always say, well, you know, you just think about God all the time. Like, just think about him all the time. Like, just whatever you're doing, like, if you're in line, think about God and talk to God. And if you're, like, at, at you know, Applebee's waiting on your food to come and just talk to God. And, you know, maybe not out loud because people think you're crazy, but just always be talking to God. And you know what I think? I think I'm not sure that's what Paul meant at all. Because he also wrote in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And so I just want you to know that I think for a lot of my life following Jesus, you know what I've done with prayer? I think I've multitasked prayer. And we all love multitasking, don't we? We think that's the greatest thing ever. But have you ever been with somebody while they were multitasking? Question. Have you ever had somebody sharing something really important? Can I just be with you for a second? Russ, thanks. And so Russ is sharing, he's pouring his heart out to me. And while he's pouring his heart out to me, I'm just texting and all this stuff. And he can, mm -hmm, yeah. And I'm just, and just out of curiosity, um, it's okay to say it out loud. How many seconds are going to go by, by, by before he wants to punch me or take my phone and throw it over there? Negative one, right? Have you had people sit in meetings that you were leading and they multitask while you were leading the meeting? Teachers? That'll just, won't that just jump all over you? Like, I will break laptops. Like, are you kidding me? And you know what God told me? He said, Paul, you have treated prayer the same way. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thanks, God. I, I, yeah, you love me. Thanks. Uh, I'm tweeting something that you wrote. <laughs> Actually, it's a verse that you wrote. Just give me a second. That cannot be what it means to pray without stopping. That is mindless. That is babbling. That is us multitasking. We are literally multitasking time with the creator of the universe who wants to spend it with us. And we're going to multitask with him while he does that. Pray in such a way that your mind is engaged. Think about what you're saying. Think about what God is saying to you. Set aside a time, even a little bit, to be truly be with God. My guess is 30 minutes of you multitasking your prayer with God, he would probably trade all of that for two minutes with just you, undivided attention. Just like you would do with anybody else. Put that device down and look at me. He's saying the same thing to you. Hey, for a second, would you put your life down and just give me your undivided attention? John chapter 15 is all about abiding with Jesus, not associating with him, not just being in the room with him, but actually being with him. Third big win, and we'll wrap this up, is fasting. Um, my guess is that this of the three is the one that we probably least understand. It's probably the one that we do the least amount of. Um, it's definitely the one that we have relegated to the really spiritual people. So when we talk about options on the car package, right, we're like, I'll never afford that option. The fasting option, can't afford it, out of reach. I'll just let Paul do that because he's the pastor, right? But Jesus didn't say if. He said when you fast. So we've got to understand something about fasting. So in the Bible, fasting is always, always. Somebody say always. It's always about food, y'all. Always. In the Bible, fasting is always about food. Now we have... In America, in today's culture, we have said things like, hey, let's do a media fast. Um, hey, some of y'all, not a bad thing to put Facebook down for a while, right? Not a bad thing. So we can fast all kinds of stuff. Maybe you fast your favorite television show, whatever. I'm just going to say this to make it simple. Fasting is saying no to something physical in order to make room for something spiritual. Okay? So whatever that is for you, Jesus is saying don't make that an option. Make that a standard. Standard, routinely practice fasting. And when you do it, don't do it in such a way that people know you're doing it, right? He's not talking about the method. He's talking about the motive. I have been with pastors before who were fasting, and they're the worst, right? Because, like, it's so obvious that they're fasting. Because everybody orders, and they're like, I'll have water. As if water is bad. Water is great. We live in a country where you can get fresh water. It's fantastic, right? But they say it in such a way it's like, and then everybody goes, oh, I'm sorry, are you fasting? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can say it out loud because we all kind of already knew, right? <laughs> like you're wearing sackcloth and ashes, right? It's so, it's so obvious. He's just saying, man, like when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. Who made it so obvious, like, could you imagine being around the Pharisees? They literally would not put oil on their bodies. It's like in our culture, that would be like not showering and bathing. Like a 21-day fast, no showering and bathing. Who wants to be around that person, right? That's terrible. And he's saying, like, when you fast, don't be like those guys. 
Don't take something so amazing like fasting that's such an amazing rhythm in our walk with Jesus and make it look like torture so that nobody else wants to do it. So when you fast, take a bath. Put on some cologne. Smile. Don't make it look like you're miserable. Because what you're doing is you're actually creating room for me to give you more of who I am. And that's something that we should want. So don't make it look terrible. He says don't bring attention to yourself. Some people fast to get men's attention, and God says, I want you to fast to get mine. So one way you can do that, our church does this thing called First Tuesday. So the first Tuesday, see how he came up with the name? First Tuesday of the month, we just ask people that are planted as members here to fast. Maybe you fast breakfast, or maybe you fast lunch, maybe you fast the whole day, maybe you fast Facebook, TV, whatever, green vegetables, I'm good with that, whatever, right? We say, hey, just fast something and just make room for God to do something in your life. That's this coming Tuesday. It's not an if, it's a when. The point here is incorporate fasting in your life as an intentional rhythm. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap this up the same way that we started. And here's how we started it. We talked about identity fueling activity. And so let's wrap it up that way because I just gave you three wins um, giving, praying, and fasting. And depending on where you are right now, you're either feeling like this was a good day to be a Christian or a bad day. You're like, I ain't never going to go back to the gathering because they made me feel terrible because I'm not doing any of those three. Okay? And I totally understand that. I totally get that. I've spent most of my life following Jesus, probably not even being intentional about these things that I should, should have been intentional about. So I want to close with a, a, a verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And here's what it says. So I say walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So can we just talk through that just for a second about what that means? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And he says later on in that same chapter to keep in step with the Spirit, right? And so sometimes here's what we've done. We have said to ourselves, oh, well, what that means is that, that I need to be so close to Jesus that if he starts walking this way, the Spirit goes this way, I need to make sure I'm keeping in step with him so I better read my Bible all the time. I better give. I better do church attendance. We, we turn walking by the Spirit into a checklist, right? But it's a relationship, right? It's like if I want to be with Wendy and she goes over there, where am I going to go? Man, these are such no-brainer questions, y'all. I can tell you've been in church a long time. Most of your life you're scared to answer out loud because pastors love to ask trick questions. But these are not trick questions. If I love Wendy and I want to be with Wendy and Wendy goes there, where am I going to go? Because I love Wendy, right? Not because she's checking out how I walk, although she is. Not because I have to. It's a duty. It's an honor to be with the one I love. Now, I say, Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, right? And if I do that, if I walk with the Spirit, he says later on, guess what grows in my life? It's called the fruit of the Spirit, right? Now, not a trick question. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, who makes it grow? Okay, see, you're still not trusting me because this is a no-brainer, right? So teachers in the house, raise your hand. Don't ever do this, but I'm going to give you the answer to the question. It's spirit, okay? So I'm going to ask it again. I'm, I'm going for 100% participation here. The answer is spirit. What's the answer? That was pretty good. I hadn't asked you yet. Just hold on to that. So if it's the fruit of the spirit, 
Who makes it grow? Spirit. See, this is not a sermon to make you be a better Christian, to do more stuff, to give more money because we need it. This is not about that at all. This has nothing to do with that. This is Jesus saying to his followers, listen, because of who you are, identity, because of who you are, if you'll walk with me, walk with the Spirit, the Spirit will begin to bear fruit in your life. And the fruit in your life is going to come when you're praying with me, when you're giving through me, when you're fasting. And, and all I'm telling you is, like, if you're not doing those three things, just start. Just start. Here's how you'll do it. I ain't been given nothing. Then just give something, right? Just If you don't know who to give it to because you don't know needy people, we do, right? So you could just drop anything in that bucket back there, and I promise we'll make sure a needy person gets that money. We love to give money away when we have it, right? So you're like, I don't, I don't give anything. Well, you're, just start giving. It's not an if, it's a when. Well, I don't even know how to pray. Okay. Pick a time during the day. You might be a morning person. Maybe you're not. You might be an evening person. You might be a no-time person. I don't know. But just pick a time and just start praying. Talk to God. Maybe not like awesome husband prayer thing, but just, hey, God, maybe the best time for you to pray is after work. Oh, God, they're driving me crazy. Right? Just tell them that. That's prayer. When you pray, not if, when. And when you fast, pick a time. Pick a day. Do it on the first Tuesday. Pick some time and make it a regular part of your life. You're not sure what to fast? Start with the stuff that you don't like. <laughs> I love to fast from broccoli, y'all. Spinach. I'll give it up for Lent, right? I hate that stuff. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. But know this, that as you do that, it's the Spirit that bears the fruit, not you. Not you. This is not a message to heap more burden on you, but to take burden off of you, to be who you really are in Christ. I've asked the team to come up and, and just simply kind of sing that, the chorus of that song we sang earlier called Waymaker. Um, because He is the one that makes the way, right? It's not on us to do it. It's on Him to do it through us. And I just want you to, as we sing it, just to spend time with the Lord. Let Him kind of seal this in your heart. And then we'll go out there and bear tons of fruit for Him.